This is InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's what's happening on this week's show. Every day in America, 12 people die while desperately waiting to receive an organ transplant. We'll talk to a medical doctor who has a life-saving solution to this crisis. Short of pulling someone out of a burning building, where could one person save another person in such a dramatic way? And if that were a sufficient motive and we had enough organs, then I wouldn't be on my campaign. Then, we've all heard that breakfast is the most important meal of the day. But a university research study says that may not be true. Of course, the contemporary wisdom would be that people who have breakfast should eat a lot less during the day. And that wasn't what we saw in this experiment. Those two stories, and much more, are coming your way on this week's edition of InfoTrack. The program gets underway right after this. weekly show with information you should know. Here's your host, Chris Whitting. Until the day that you or a loved one urgently needs an organ transplant for survival, you may not give organ donation much thought. But the average wait time is nearly five years and thousands die each year while waiting for an organ transplant. Our next guest knows all about this struggle for survival as a recipient of a kidney in 2006 and an advocate for organ donation. We welcome Sally Sattel, MD, to the show. You are a resident scholar at the American Enterprise Institute for Public Policy Research, and you're working on ways to help close the gap for patients waiting for kidney donations. I guess the first question is, why don't more people donate their kidneys? Oh, that's a question that's been hanging in the air. Well, since we started doing kidney transplants, a lot of people don't like to think about death, so they don't sign their card. There are misconceptions about what might happen. In other words, if I come into an emergency room, they won't try as hard to save me if they think I'm a donor. None of that is true, but these myths persist also Some people think there are religious prescriptions to it, but in the Catholic and Jewish and Christian traditions, there aren't in Islam as well. But those all combine to suppress the rate. Also, you can imagine for deceased donors, often the circumstances of the death are utterly traumatic. Mm -hmm. They're a young person, it's unexpected, it's a car crash or a gunshot wound, and sometimes that's the worst time to approach a family who really hasn't given it much thought. And the other reason is that not enough living people are willing to contemplate giving a kidney. I don't know if everyone realizes this, but you only need one kidney to be perfectly healthy, right? Yes, you only need one kidney, and in fact, I only have one kidney because, as you mentioned, thank goodness, someone gave me her right kidney in 2006, so she's living with only one as well. Hmm. Obviously, you have to be healthy to do that, and they very, very vigorously screen anyone who's interested in being a donor, but yes, you only need one kidney. That is one of our so-called redundant or paired organs. Is the kidney the most in-demand organ for transplants? Yes, there are about 120,000 people on the national organ transplant list. Hmm. It's maintained by the United Network for Organ Sharing, and over 100,000 are waiting for kidneys. Now, that's an artifact of the existence of dialysis, 
which is an intermediary technology that will keep you alive, sometimes for many years, while you don't have a kidney. We're talking with Sally Sattel, who's a medical doctor, and we're talking about the topic of organ donation and uh, trying to help people get organ transplants that they need. Sally, in terms of the deceased donating an organ, what is the time window for a surgeon to remove an organ before it's no good? It's about 24 to 36 hours for kidneys. Actually, different organs have different degrees of hardiness because most of the organs, certainly a heart and most livers and lungs, those are obtained from deceased donors and often are transported many miles or even across state lines. And is there an upper age limit for being an organ donor? I don't think there is a strict cutoff. They're more interested in your health. I mean, you could imagine that there are 65, 70-year-old people who are in quite good health, Mm -hmm. or maybe one organ isn't functioning at such a high level, but the lungs are just great. So they will select based on the health of the organ, and they also do try to age match. For example, if you have someone who's in their late 60s on dialysis waiting for a kidney, they would be more likely to receive the kidney of an older person as opposed to a young 26-year-old who was in a motorcycle accident. They would try to preferentially direct those organs to younger people. Sally, we are in a capitalistic society here. Why is there a problem with people buying organs or paying the donors for the organs? Well, I don't think there is a problem, but the law does. And the tradition in the transplant community has been one of altruism, which is to say a person donates and expects no enrichment other than the good feeling of having done something utterly magnificent. Frankly, short of pulling someone out of a burning building, where could one person save another person in such a dramatic way? And frankly, I find that touching as well. And if that were a sufficient motive and we had enough organs, then I wouldn't be on my campaign to try to at least get pilot trials of incentives for organ donors. What do you think the going price for a kidney would be in the marketplace if that was allowed? Well, I should say there is a marketplace. It's called the Black Marketplace, and Mm. it's thriving overseas and in third world countries, and it's a classic symptom of this sort of shortage. But nobody wants to replicate, certainly, the depredations of that. In fact, we're not even talking about a classic free market or even private contracting or anything like that. The idea here is for a third party, could be a government, state, federal, approved charity, That would make available some sort of in-kind benefit, uh, tax credit, contribution to someone's 401k account, tuition voucher, even funds they could then give to a charity, could make that available to people who were interested in being rewarded for saving a life. What would be the monetary value of this? Well, we, I say we because there's a loose network of colleagues of mine and law professors and economists and some bioethicists who contemplate a general value of $40,000 to $50,000, but that's ultimately an empirical question. You know, what will attract people, what will seem like it's an ample reward? You know, you go too low and then you start exploiting people. You know, in such a system, I emphasize that it's an in-kind benefit because you want to avoid a situation where the buyer and seller interact. 
Some people say, you know, wow, I would just love to save someone. And they go to their local hospital and they go through a battery of tests and, you know, they proceed. And for people like that, there's a special spa in heaven. But I think we should be able to offer people like that something more. There are a number of people who've done this. About 100 people a year become Good Samaritan donors. Find out what's entailed. It's certainly not trivial, but you're in the hospital two or three days. Again, if you're a white-collar person, you're probably back to the cognitive part of your work within a week, you know, from home. And, you know, you do need someone to help with child care, this sort of thing. Actually, it's totally legal to pay for that if the recipient can afford child care for you, he or she can pay for that. There's also a federal program that will help you out with funds. But with something to look into, people have done it and they've found it, as you can imagine, enormously rewarding. I happen to think that if we were allowed to leverage the fundamental altruism, the good feeling that people have and who feel such sympathy for people who are unnecessarily suffering and dying on the list, that more people you know, would do it. If they can also help their family, get a little more financial security, and why not? Everyone else, everyone else in the process makes money yeah, off if, this. If, if it was tens of thousands of dollars, there'd probably be a surplus of kidneys uh, within a year, I would think. You know, I happen to agree with you. Ultimately, it's an empirical matter, but I think that the list could be cleared in two years. Sally Sattel, M.D., a resident scholar at the American Enterprise Institute for Public Policy Research. We want to thank you so much for joining us today on InfoTrack. Oh, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Next, if you think breakfast is the most important meal of the day, we've got a wake-up call for you. That story, coming up. You're listening to InfoTrack. More after this. 